All right, what's going on, everyone? We're back for, I think this is number five, right, John? Number five I think of so. humanizing war, as we kind of call it. That's not showing up in any, uh, I probably shouldn't use that term because I'm not using that in any of the titles or any of the descriptions. <laughs> I'm using that in my personal calendar when I set these up. But uh, anyways, it's been a month since we, since we posted the last one. So I think we're probably going to wrap it up today. We'll see where we end up. But the idea here was uh, John and I were roommates at West Point, went to West Point together for four years, then ended up in the 101st Airborne together, Fort Sill for a little while together, 101st Airborne deployed together twice, and then got out of left active duty at the same time together and thought we would just talk a little bit specifically around that first deployment. Uh, Kandahar, Afghanistan, 2010-11. And I thought that it'd be like one episode, an hour long. And now looking back, that was stupid. Um, We barely made it through anything. We barely got to Afghanistan in episode one. Um, But (laughs) I do much you can talk about. That's crazy, right? And that's what's happened is you've just kind of gone down fun rabbit holes, interesting rabbit holes. But um, anyways, John, thanks for making the time to, to do this again, man. Absolutely. I enjoy it. So before we get started, I had a couple things that I, I told you about before we started rolling, but I wouldn't go into the details because I wanted to save it here. But um, I think we're the same that both of us, or at least I kind of got off social media for a while. Um, I don't know, that kind of towards the end of the time I was in the military, a couple of years after I left active, I just wasn't messing around at all. And like, for the most part, it was Facebook at that point. I just wasn't having any of it. But with some of this stuff I've been doing recently on TikTok, I, and then with the podcast, there's times where I wear a strike shirt, strike force shirt. Don't think anything of it. Right. And quite a few comments come in like, what unit were you in? Or when were you there? I'm going to skip through a, a couple parts here. A soldier from dog company, 2502 sent me a message on Facebook, Corey Jones, his name. And, uh, said, hey, I found you on TikTok. Took me a while, but recognize you. I hope you're doing well, that kind of stuff. And we got to catch up a little bit. And then when I was going back through TikTok, I saw a question from him that said, when were you in 2502? I deployed with them in 2010-11. Uh-oh. So dog company is like 67, 70 people, right? It's a small company. At Strong Point Dog, we had like 35 or 40 dudes. Now it's been 10 years, so I'll give him credit there. Um, but so I made a joking post back to Corey, like, come on, man you don't recognize me. There were only so many of us. Right. And I, I had, I randomly had some pictures of Corey from the deployment. So we could kind of pull those up and like you right here, you know, here you are. Oh, no. um, anyways, what came out of that in that one post then, so linked up with Corey, which was awesome. Had a guy send me a note that was in dog company that replaced us at strong point Zarkel. Countless people from across the brigade. We had the raid camera tech that came to fix the camera at Hazim Adad every time it went down, who I vividly remember sitting behind saying like, I don't understand what it is you're doing. Can you just show us how to work this thing? Him, yeah. we had guys in the unit before us, guys that were attached to the route clearance packages. We had medevac pilots, a father of one of the soldiers in our battalion that was killed. One post. All of those in the comments. Wow. Dude. That is, yeah, that's powerful stuff. That's crazy. Yeah. Like a lot of people saw it and it was, it was cool. It was just a funny little video, but um, I don't know. That was like the best part of my week to, to, you know, somebody saying like, oh, I was renegade 2502 at D-War. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> you know? 
yeah it, it's funny because um you know trying to put myself back in that time period when there's you know there were some inner rivalries between like dog company versus charger company or this platoon versus that platoon or whatnot and so so you kind of see all these people around you and and you might think negatively of them but then looking back 10 years ago they're all like the best people that i've ever known you know so so if i were to meet somebody that that was on one of those deployments i would just be so excited it'd be so great to talk to them you know that's a good way to put it perspective if if i ran into somebody from a different company while we were deployed it'd be like right you're not with us i I don't want to talk to you no (laughs) not at all but now it's like oh my god you're in the same 10 mile radius you know yeah Um, but it was cool and then kind of leading into this i ended the uh little video saying and then we went to ramrod together and I don't know how many people commented that like they helped build Ramrod. They were at Ramrod. They were based right outside Ramrod. All of this stuff, which I don't know who named it that, but. Right. The name is uncomfortable. <laughs> what is, that, why is it Ramrod? That seems like one of those where a soldier sent up, just like started calling it in. Yeah. And then it just stuck. <laughs> Put it on the map. <laughs> but. Anyways, that's kind of where we wrapped up here last time. We'd swapped out with um, the 10th Mountain guys in Zari. We, for a couple months there at the end of the deployment, knew that we weren't going home with the rest of the brigade. I think most of the brigade was there between 11 and 12 months. Yeah. And it wasn't drastically shorter. Yeah, because a lot of them arrived in country before we did so mm-hmm. we arrived later so if we went home with the rest of the brigade we would have had a shorter the shortest deployment so yeah it was all fair in the end and that it was regard. at least yeah it was like at least really close yeah yeah um but the the battalion 2502 got moved out to fob ramrod and there was a really positive side to it there are a lot of like really positive sides to this if you think about it um we were no longer going on daily patrols we weren't landowners so we weren't responsible for base security. We didn't have to, I mean, I think for both of our strong points, there were people in the guard towers 24 seven. Yeah. And that is a lot to manage. You have a 36 person platoon trying to man. I think we had five towers that we had to man. And that is just constant while doing patrols. It's, it's exhausting for everybody involved. Right. And a CP. And yeah. And a CP. Yeah, command posts. So yeah, you're always on guard. So, yeah, to not be a landowner, which sounds kind of it's a weird term, but like I said, you're just responsible for an area, essentially on the map, and then it, it means a lot because I would spend, you know, that was most of my life was developing the area around me that that we owned, uh, which is kind of an an American term. I right? wouldn't own anything, but we were the we were the American, yeah, we were responsible for all these villages around us. We wanted to clear the Taliban out. Yeah, to have that responsibility just taken away from you was such a uh, ease. On, there's so, so much less of a burden. That was nice. Ramrod had a good gym. I remember one. There probably were a couple. They had a good dining yeah. facility. They had showers. Oh, yeah, huge. Yeah, to go from like the ammo can type 
gym that we that we had cobbled together yeah to a real real gym showers they had a coffee shop called what was it green beans yep um i think they even had like a burger king or something it was insane to us to have like some of those actual places you could shop for things i remember going to the little px there almost daily there's you know nothing there right just for uh, bare essentials kind of stuff but like i couldn't grasp like being able to buy i there's a weird feeling of like because i couldn't just get something when i needed it for a couple months now it's like oh i need to probably go get a soda for magazine oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> But we also had time on our hands when we got there. You know, we're, we're not, the people aren't in, our soldiers aren't in towers. Um, but I guess I should give the other side of that coin, which was uh, not patrolling every day, but getting tagged with between three and four, sounds about right, air assault missions into kind of unknown territory across southern Afghanistan. Yeah, so there was some intense planning going on, especially you know, at our level, that's, that's most of what we were doing was planning for the next mission. And yeah, they were, um, they were pretty intense. Like you said, I mean, an, an air assault into an unoccupied area in Southern Afghanistan, there's a lot to consider, a lot of things that have to go well, a lot of planning that has to take place. And all of those, you know, there's these, it's crazy, the pros and cons and what do you prefer? And one of the benefits from our point of view in the Zara Kel area was we got to know the buildings and the ones you don't go into and the roads you don't walk down and you knew the areas you get shot at from. And when you start bouncing into places like Sia Choi was our first air assault or dog company, at least. Um, and we'll get into that, but they were broken up. The companies kind of went to a bunch of different places. We didn't know that area and you can only get so much from the previous unit. And it doesn't, it felt like that handoff, them doing their best and our doing our best, just not the same as living there for a couple of months. So every step all of a sudden felt more dangerous. Every building, you don't really know what's, what's going on there. So it was a, it was a change. Yeah. And it was the last few months in country. We, we kind of felt like we were on, I don't know, borrowed time, but we felt like we, we almost could have been going home instead we're here doing these extra dangerous missions. Um, so like you said, when you had some time off, you took advantage of it. I went to get a fancy mocha coffee frappuccino thing every chance I could just, just because me and Sergeant Tucker would do that. I think every day. (laughs) We, um, I know you and I went on at least two together, but to your point earlier, like hardly saw you. It wasn't like we were even hearing each other on the radio, totally different areas of this, the little battle space, but our very first one, we went into, well, actually, so the, the high level, if I remember correctly, was there would be a special operations raid in and around the area we went into the night before, and then we would go in. So it'd be a team of, you know, call it 10 to 40 special operations and Afghans go in, hit a couple targets, and usually they would leave, and you would never see them again until they came knocking <laughs> some other fateful night. But I guess the idea was like we would come in the next shortly thereafter. So instead of this quick hit and run, all of a sudden, like, oh, crap, there's 250 Americans all of a sudden in our village and Afghans. Um, I think that was kind of the idea. Do you remember that? Does that ring a bell? It does ring a bell. Yeah. And part of it was 
um, yeah, because it's it's easy for the Taliban to like disappear during a raid and then just to kind of come right back in and scare the town after the special ops folks have left. So I think part of the the goal was to maybe catch those people that are trying to uh, wreak havoc after a raid. Our very first one in Choi, we bounced over to Bob Passab, Bob Wilson, who went by a couple of different names. We took helicopters from Ramrod and uh, bounced over there. And we sat on the airfield at Choi, or it's the airfield uh, landing pad, landing, what am I even thinking of? HLZ. HLZ. There we go. Yeah. HL, helicopter landing zone at, at Wilson and waited to move south into Choi because it was a quicker jump there, right? It was just a couple kilometers and before we landed shortly before landed they they dropped bombs on all of the hlz's i don't know if you remember that before some of these yeah 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 and we were close enough to hear it so you're sitting on the hlz and all you hear is boom 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 boom. and what they're doing is is just in case there's somebody sitting out there it'll take care of them but it'll also um, remove any ieds that might be on the ground that we couldn't see i just remember thinking like "Uh uh-oh that means that means we're really going right because there were some situations where the weather wasn't right or the illumination wasn't right and we had a couple um you know no jump tonight moments where you sit out there and wait all night and then they just cancel it at the last second and you wait do it again the next day um yeah but yeah once once those once they drop those bombs and you're right it's like all right, there's no getting out of it this time. <laughs> this is happening. So Sia Choi was our first one. And there's these grape rows in Southern Afghanistan that can be, John's talked about it in the past, but like they can be shoulder height and they're trenches. It's like trenches back to back to back. And I, I have told this story recently. So if I told it on the podcast and you're listening saying, I know we heard it, I'm sorry. But uh, I remember getting off the bird moving right into the grape rows and you don't go, you go over them the most difficult way possible because less likely to see IEDs. And I tripped on one of the first ones and my ACOG on my scope smashed my nose and I got a blow. This is at night runner night vision goggles, smashed my nose. And I started bleeding everywhere all down my kit. And we were wearing the ACUs kind of the light colored stuff. Right. So stands out bright blood all down the front. And, uh, how smooth is that you know when your eyes get so watery so teared up like you can't even see oh yeah that's where i was yeah it was like the it was the i don't know if anybody saw it because it was under nods at night and you're there's some some distance but like could not have looked less cool bleeding all over myself (laughs) crying (laughs) crying because i hit myself in the nose um yeah but but the sun wasn't out so i don't think anybody saw it for a while when the sun came up they saw it what happened to you i think you lucked out there yeah and it's just just the blood afterwards yeah i remember one of those missions we um we for some reason we had to walk a long ways which is not normal like you, you think if you air assault somewhere you're gonna you're gonna air assault close to where you need to go um but for some reason my platoon had to go a, a fair distance to get to our um compound that we were going to take over and it was super hot outside and we were doing this like i don't know like a death march and, and we get to the we get to like a, a spot 
where we're kind of setting up security before I go and tell the people in the compound that we're taking it over. And, uh, and we had some, we had some guys in my, my team that were like about to fall out. Like they were, they were about to pass out cause it was, they were just so exhausted from, from getting there. And, uh, it just kind of got me thinking that is an odd scenario where I would literally with a loudspeaker and interpreter walk up to a place and be like, Hey, you know, Americans are here, come talk to me. And they would come talk to me. And I remember this particular one, I had no idea who we were. They thought we were the Russians at first. Uh, so they hadn't seen troops at all. They were just kind of in this remote area. Um, and I, I basically tell them to leave their home because I'm going to take over, which it, it's such a rude situation. Like it's not really winning hearts and minds, but I would, that was, that was the plan. Like we didn't, we had nowhere else to go. So it's just like, we're taking over your compound. You need to leave. Uh, so they would, they would always comply and, and they really didn't have a choice. Um, but then I, I remember on that specific one, we, uh, I didn't want to risk a vehicle borne IED. So we had like a road coming close to where the compound was uh, from two different directions. And I remember we, we blocked, we blocked the road with a bunch of like things that would be loud if a car hit it and it would slow the car down. Like whatever things we could find boulders and like a big 55 gallon drum or something. And then we had, um, we put like a, a second level of defense there. And then I had a gun facing it. On the other side, we put, uh, I had my engineer use all of his C4 and just blow up a, a tree. And the tree fell on the road and just completely blocked the road. Um, all right. So it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those kind of weird things. So some pros and cons, right? It was, the pros were that, we were at much less risk of a vehicle-borne ID in our last month of uh, our deployment. The con is I just showed up to this quiet little place that probably they don't know who I am and they've been dealing with the Taliban, but they, they may or may not care about the Taliban. And I just show up, kick them out of their house and like ruin their street and blow up a tree. And they're just like, what, what is this guy? Who are these people and why are they doing all this? You know? Um, so it's, those are one of those, it's one of those things that I don't know if that was the right call, but I knew I was going to be safe. I knew I was going to make sure that we're at less risk of, you know, some terrible situation where Americans are dying, you know? Did that change over time? Like, do you think you were more in the category of, I'm not taking any risks because it was some of the last minute. Like, would you have done that in June or July? Uh, yeah. I mean, if I was like early, <laughs> it was like one of my first missions and I hadn't been in a firefight or something, I probably wouldn't have thought to do that or I wouldn't have been comfortable doing that. See, I think that does change over time. And you just, you stop caring about uh, hurting feelings and you care strictly about keeping your, team safe yeah i mean i've got i'm gonna bounce around because it it fits here but we had a a ghost patrol on our very last air assault i don't know if that's the term for it but we got orders to go check out a a grape hut an empty grape hut 500 meters away or something and we looked we're like 
that looks like the worst place in the world to ever go. Like that's probably where they're shooting from. That's probably where they have. And if the Taliban shot from an area, that means they had dozens of IEDs surrounding it, mines surrounding it. Um, And, and the, the birds are coming in and picking us up in about six hours uh, just after sundown. And we got that, we, we got that call. The company got that call. And uh, the, I don't remember if it was the platoon I was with. So being the FSO, I was on the company net and, and hearing both. And I don't remember if it was the platoon I was with or, or another one, but that, that mission happened. If you know what I mean, it was six hours left on the ground in Afghanistan for our company, for our battalion. And that group was not for what, you know, like, nope, there's nothing in that great hut, nothing in that great hut that is going to validate, that is going to justify one guy losing a leg. No. Yeah. But earlier in the deployment, we 100% would have checked that out. Right. Yeah, and that's that's where you kind of put in a tough position sometimes because you know yeah you, you have to obey lawful orders, um, and that's a lawful order to hit, to go check out a great putt that is suspicious or there's some intelligence about it. Uh, but yeah, the emotional side is we're about to be home, and I'm not going to talk to you know this soldier's mom tonight and say that, oh, by the way, your son's not coming home, even though you expected him next week, you know, because we sent him into the great putt. Like that's, that is, that's too much for, it's too much to handle that close to, to being home, you know. And it, it raises a legitimate question, though, like, was there a machine gun in there that we could have destroyed uh, that two weeks later killed American soldier? you know? Yep. yep. 100%. Um, it's a tough one. I think that, I think you're, we're kind of going down the path of what do you do with these, these set deployments, 12 month deployment, six month, 18 month, call it whatever you want. When you know you're at the end and you're going home, you act differently. Yeah. yeah. I think some, sometimes you do. Yeah. I mean, I don't Maybe, know. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say the guys in world war two before the, the Japanese surrender, they didn't know. Like, well, let's just lay low for two weeks because they'll probably surrender by the end of the month. Like, you know, there was no slowing in a sense of, you know, kind of get into semantics, but in, in the modern conflict, you can. I mean, Wags, we were packing containers between these aerosols to go home. We, guys were packing up their personal possessions and sending them home and then would get on a bird and go do an aerosol for four days. Yeah. And we did have someone die in that last mission. That, that, that was in, he was one of my mortar guys, Brandon Curtin. And he was with a different platoon. He was the assistant gunner, I think, on a roof and got sniper, uh, shot him through his, through his scope. I think, I think he was manning the gun at the time and the sniper shot through his scope and hit him right in the head. Um, yeah, sorry. While we're talking about it, so I wasn't, he was in with a different platoon. I had our first sergeant, first sergeant Joe Harbor was with me. And I distinctly remember, you know, he was an older guy, kind of like most first sergeants are. And he had almost like a grandfatherly, uh, like voice to him, you know, how yeah, yeah. grandfathers have like a way of talking. 
and uh it, but he 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 deeply cared about everyone in the in the whole company um and when he when the call was going through you know the first thing you do is you wait for the the battle roster number and uh with the battle roster number it's like first initial last initial last four of social security so he as a first sergeant had the whole roster of everyone's battle roster number always with him just in case something happened um which you know i, I didn't i didn't necessarily have that for everybody just because you know i wasn't the first sergeant but he happened to be right with me um and, and it was it was weird we, we heard the firefight because it was really close to us it was just a few shots and then it was kind of over um like a few shots we returned fire it was over so didn't think much of it uh, and then then the call comes through and i just remember uh first sergeant harbor was just kind of like frantically he, he's, he gets down and he frantically is looking for his battle roster number and then uh, you know to hear his grandfatherly voice and i could i could hear the pain in his voice because he you know he, i think he was fairly close to brandon Curtin. I, I was too he was a really charismatic young man um and yeah hearing him say it's Curtin was was uh that was tough. It, that's always kind of stuck with me, you know, and that was I, two weeks before we were going to be home. That was tough. Um, two episodes ago, Rags, I don't know if you had a chance to, or interested at all in listening to it, but uh, Kyle Snook, Bryson Shipman from Dog Company. I saw that, yeah. Saw that, yeah, and uh, and Jacob Weaver, we're talking about their friend, or, sorry, uh, Jacob Ivey, we're talking about their friend, Todd Weaver, who was killed in the Argonaut, and they were, I mean, that conversation about the battle roster. Like yeah. you hear that come over and it's just kind of everybody stop and listen. And um, I think it might've been first two letters of the last name. Yeah. A- maybe that AI. Was yeah. The reason I say that is because of this, you know, these things all sit with you differently. And the reason you and I, I've told you about this just recently, but um, we had a soldier in our company who I did not know, but got tasked out to, uh, the battalion security team named Sergeant Kirby, but all of our soldiers knew him. Like, so KI, um, KIR. And uh, when that call came over, somehow it got to us that the battle roster was at least KI, right? And, and our guys all started thinking, oh my God, it's Sergeant Kirby, um, this guy that we all trained with and got ready to deploy with. So I remember coming back off that mission and finding you on the HLZ, uh, which we never saw each other after mission. So that by itself was pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. And ask and asking was it Sergeant Kirby? And when you said no, it was it was Curtin. I remember saying thank God, um, which I think I said that. That's what's in my mind. And honestly, it was something that kind of uh, bugged me for a long time because it felt like the absolute worst thing to say. Um, I understand why that sentiment came up, but it feels awful even today saying that. Um, I'm glad when I told you about that, you said you didn't remember it. Right. Yeah. I didn't remember. I'm glad I sat on that for so long. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's weird what things will kind of eat away at you. You know, you, you think you reacted poorly or, you know, you, you didn't, you said the wrong thing or whatnot, but yeah, I, I was just, I was happy to see you. Like you said, I was still kind of comprehending that it was, uh, it was curtain. It was, it was all too fresh. So yeah. I didn't even didn't even register that that you made that that slip because you were thankful that it wasn't your guy and and that's understandable you know that's crazy that close to the end I 
uh, there's there's actually like something I really want to get into there, but I, I want to come back to this. Um, I was talking with the 101st Vietnam veteran, Bob Liebeck, the other day on the podcast, and he was telling a story about one of, I want to say one of his soldiers, somebody that he served with at least, who, and I'm going to mess up the story, but you'll get the gist of it. Thought that he, he lost a couple of rifles after a firefight, after a battle, they were kind of policing up all the stuff and he thought he lost some and, and held this guilt for like 30 years until he ran into a guy from his unit at some later reunion was starting to bring that up. And the guy said something along the lines of like, Oh no, I placed those up. I moved them over here. And like, that was no, nobody ever thought about it. I took care of that. And this guy sat on that guilt thinking that like, he'd let everybody down. They all probably, you know what I mean? Like yeah. burned away at him for decades. Yeah. But nobody else sounds like even registered. Like, Oh no, that wasn't a thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh man, we all need counseling. (laughs) (laughs) That was, uh, um, there's not a, a loss in that deployment. I think that was easy per se, but when Curtin died that, I think that hit everyone, man. I didn't know. Um, even when he got his picture, the companies were so dispersed. I know, I mean, we, we cross paths, right? But I didn't recognize it. And so I can't even say that, I, you know, anything like that, but oh my God, we were making plans. I had rented a house at home at that point, right? I had a deposit down. And that's how close we were. You probably knew yeah. what you were going to eat for your first meal when you got home. Yeah, that was tough. And we all, we all knew it was a risk that, you know, that that was on everyone's mind. It, it's always on on the front of the mind but especially for the last mission that we're all doing you know we had those conversations like god I, this will be terrible if somebody dies on this mission so yeah it happened it was curtain he was doing what he loved he was a great soldier that's why he was up there on that roof you know and unlike what we were talking about earlier checking out a great putt where who knows if there's anything there the only way for that not to have happened is if we didn't go at all. He was pulling security and a lucky shot. You know, it wasn't a bad, yeah, there's, there's not anything to look, there's no blame, I guess, maybe is the way I put that, right? Right. Yeah, there was no one making the wrong decision, right? So we needed somebody on that rooftop. Curtin was, was the right guy for that job, and that's exactly where he wanted to be. He was very gung-ho. He was a really good soldier. And we hadn't, there weren't very many killed or even wounded by small arms fire that entire deployment. So once yeah, you get no, in. We it, didn't, yeah, we were, it was mostly dismounted IEDs, some vehicle-borne IEDs or, yeah, yeah vehicle-borne yeah, suicide bombers or whatnot. Yeah, we didn't have too many small arms casualties. But again, lucky shot. I think there were some, there was some like uh, I remember the intel being that there was some highly trained group of fighters out there. That I'm not sure if we expected them to be there or not, but uh, typically, you, you, when Taliban are shooting at you, it's they're just they're kind of just shooting at the sky almost, and then you return fire uh, in that direction. But these people, like they, they didn't have too many snipers that would actually shoot you through your scope um but yeah we happen to stumble upon one 
and yeah, it's unfortunate. It's terrible. I remember that. I remember that Intel. I don't remember. It was something along those lines. Chechnyan or something. Yeah. Yeah. Chechnya. Yeah. Some non-Afghan, non-Taliban. Yeah. Some foreign fighters were there. Who knows what they're doing? Who knows? Well, we did kind of bounce around here, but I think Dog Company did four air assaults. I think. And I know two of them were just boring. I mean, boring in the sense of like nothing happened so good, but like nothing, nothing happened. And we were out there for two days, two, I think it was, they were all two days and yeah. like go in at night, patrol for a day, stay the night, patrol for another day in the next fill. I think they were about like that. Yeah. Um, oh my God. Just, you just sat outside burning up in the summer heat. Didn't do fine or see anything. Um, and then you come back. Those were, and I say boring, but like the entire time you're like, oh my God, this is going to be the corner with an IED. Right. Um, so the, yeah, stress, yeah. the stress is high. Yeah. And even at the end, I was looking through some old messages from the time and something that I was telling somebody was like, it feels like you're waiting forever on the, on the uh, HLZ when these air assaults end. Uh, Cause at that point, the whole, all the companies that were on that air assault get together. We all come back to the LZ that's planned and we wait for hours and we set up our IR beacons and all the stuff so the helicopters can find us. Um, and they end up landing wherever the hell they want to land. That's what they do. Uh, <laughs> but, but we essentially make a huge perimeter and just wait. And you know, the Taliban's watching us. They're waiting for the, uh, the birds to land and then for us to load up and then they'll try to hit, shoot us with an RPG on our way out or whatnot. Um, but they also might try to hit us while we're all just sitting there for hours, you know? So I remember just being constantly on edge because that was a good time to hit us. Mullion was the last place we went. Yeah. Mullion. Mullion, that's it. When we were going in, our bird took, again, I, at this point, like I'm combining essentially all of the company stories into my stories, you know, for, for, for the worse. I'm not going to say for better, for worse, for the worse. I don't remember if it was my Chinook or the other Chinook coming in with us, but either way, an RPG narrowly missed it as we were coming into land. And when these Chinooks come in, great big helicopter, pretty slow. When they come in at night, they're not just by themselves. We had A-10s, F-16s, Reaper drones overhead, and Apaches. There was so much air power stacked, if you remember that. Oh, yeah. And uh, I remember coming in on the Chinook, and it must have been the bird after us, because just after we landed, you just hear boom, 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 boom. And the Apache, what happened was the guy missed with the RPG, and the team started running through the wood line, and the Apache turned and crack, 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 two Taliban down. But it was like, ah, we've been watching that HLZ all night. Where did they come from? How did yeah. they get an RPG? Oh my God. Um, and it doesn't, you know, it's maybe it's a really hard shot to make depends on the angle and the distance and all that stuff. But like, huh. Yeah. I think I was on the same mission. Cause I remember, you know, I was like the last guy on my, uh, Chinook. So I was at, I was at the back of it. And I was looking kind of over the gunner's shoulder. And I remember seeing that RPG, like shoot up at that one Chinook. And I was like, Oh my God, it's going to get hit. And then, you know, missed and and you see the reaction, which was just 
awesome. Like it was immediate. They were, they were all over that guy. So that makes sense because dog company was one of the most northernmost areas of that aerosol. And I remember charger was South of us. So you would have been moving South from Wilson. Right. And if you're looking out, it probably would have. Yeah. 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 However, however it happened. I remember, I remember seeing that. And that also, when that happens, it's just this feeling of like, Oh, so that's how this is going to be. Right. After, (laughs) after a couple quiet ones and, and just kind of trying to sleep during the day while whatever happens, like, cause we would do that. You'd go out and you'd have to just establish an area, establish a presence. And then it'd be like, all right, you got six hours, try to catch some rack. So then for like the first five minutes, be like that first 30 seconds, be like, Oh, good. They're shooting RPGs at helicopters here. This would be a fun 48. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was nuts. Do you remember? Go ahead. I was going to say we had the same, same amount. I think it was four aerosols that our company did, but I was fortunate enough uh, as the quick reaction force for a, for a different uh, mission that my company was not going on. Uh, My platoon was the designated QRF platoon. And we actually got called on, which, which normally doesn't happen. We, um, we were, we were on the ground. You were on the ground. Okay. Yeah. I remember that call going out and be like, no, Wag's <laughs> going to have so much fun. I know it was, it was so cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we got the call that uh, QRF is getting, you know, uh, sent in because our, our battalion commander, Colonel Benchoff was on the ground and there was, he was part of a unit that they saw something and there was some intel about a different compound that from overhead, it looked like they were making IEDs there. Um, it, either way, he wanted the QRF to go check it out. And it was like kind of far away from where everyone else was. Um, so he sends us and I remember, you know, my initial briefing is like, okay, you're going to get uh, like, you get two Blackhawks and you can fit this many people on there. You have to take this many ANA. You have to take, you know, all the standard equipment and your dog, uh, pick your best people and meet us here. And you can talk to the pilots. Like that was basically my, uh, my, my warno, like my <laughs> go get ready with, with this information. Yeah. And I had like an hour to do it. Uh, so I, I run back to my, my platoon area and, uh the uh sergeant major had all the ncos together and they were they were doing some nco thing and so i I didn't even have my my uh most of my team available that i could even talk to uh you know my platoon sergeant sergeant johnson was was part of that so so i like put my all-star team together as soon as they're done I show them like hey we're getting called up and I show them this this list of who I, I think needs to go I basically I don't, I don't have many options because I have to take you know the dog I have to take this sensor and that sensor and this detector and this turp and like it, it, you end up with two Blackhawks full of soldiers and uh, not many people you can actually like have do things aside from what their like equipment is telling them that, that they can or can't do um and they the yeah the birds said all right we're gonna land you right here here's a compound 
I just used like old school stuff. I just, I, I knew where we were landing. I knew the azimuth I had to take to the compound. We landed. I, I literally, as that birds are leaving, I checked my compass and just to get oriented, it was like ranger school and I get oriented. I'm like, okay, that's the uh, compound. And then we just like start going. And uh, it, it felt kind of cool. It felt like we were on a raid. Uh, of course we get there. Um, we didn't find much. I think we found a couple uh, bags of uh, black tar heroin. Uh, we didn't find any IED making materials or anything. Um, it was just kind of a drug bust is what it ended up being. We, we, we took the black tar heroin. Um, I want to clarify then, that. Yeah. <laughs> we took it and then I think we burned it later on. We didn't do anything with it. Um, and, and then the one last thing was I got to use a sat phone. That was, that was a unique thing because we were out of radio range. So I had to whip out this sat phone that they gave me and, and call uh, Colonel Benchoff and tell him what we did or didn't find. And then that was it. And then the helicopters came and, and we came back. It was so it was so weird, but I also remember on the Blackhawk. I remember being able to look down and like see you guys all on the ground, and we were like the cool guys flying over to do our mission. Um, and everything turned out okay, so it you know you can laugh about it now, but it was also scary, right? We were going to where we thought there could be some bad people. So that was one of the slow ones for us as well, where. We did, if I'm looking at Zari in my mind, Molian was right by Fapasab in kind of Maine, Zari. Siachoy was right there as well. We, we did one in, in Maywan, which was up kind of northwest, actually pretty close to the Hellman border. Yep. And then this one that you're talking about was south, closer to the river. And I don't know if you remember the intel that we'd get on these things, but like it, the intel was never like, man, it's probably going to be pretty quiet. <laughs> They would dig up something from God knows how far back. And be like, let's see, the Rangers went in here and killed 17 guys and had to drop 48 bombs and suffered 16 casualties. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Excuse me? And like, that's the, you know, it, or the Special Forces did a raid here two weeks ago and killed you know, nine. Like, those are the, okay. And then you'd go there and there'd be nothing. Um, I don't know, maybe all the bad guys were gone, but. Every one of those were like, this is it. Yeah. Yeah. It was always pretty intense <laughs> leading up to it. But you, you also get this false sense of security because there's so many times when you expect something to happen and it doesn't happen. That you keep expecting it, but each time you're less and less, uh, you think you, you, you don't actually believe something's going to happen as much, you know, the further you go into it. Yeah, it's weird. Like, there were a couple in the middle there where just looking at the map, it was like, I don't expect that we're going to get in a big firefight. These buildings are in the middle of nowhere. That's just not how the Taliban fought in southern Afghanistan. They weren't going to hit us running across an open plain for 800 meters. We've right. got air support all day. It was those, it was the first and last one for us, Siachoy and Molion, where it was like, I know what that, I know what grape rows are. Um, they'll shoot at you from there and there's IEDs everywhere. That was kind of the, like, there's just until you get on the, well, actually that's a good question. Do you remember leaving the last time, like the last helicopter ride out of that final mission? Does that stand out in your mind at all? 
no, it all kind of runs together. I mean, they all kind of felt the same. It, I remember a, more of a sense of relief. And I remember um, on the LZ that night, the, the lieutenant that I, he moved to the Scott platoon. His name was Corey Ritter. And I, I took over his platoon. I remember he came up to me and we had a good conversation and he like thanked me for, you know, taking care of what was his platoon, you know, cause he, he felt very close to those guys and, and I did as well. So we kind of had a cool, you know, moment there, but uh, that's all that I remember. I remember walking to the bird the, when we were leaving for the last time, but it's the same thing. Like every single step, like that's going to be the thing, right? Like, <sighs> The final we got on, we took off, went to Wilson, met up with you there. That thing was short. I don't remember that at all. But then we had to take a helicopter from Wilson to Ramrod where all of our stuff was. And I don't know enough about helicopters as to why this happened, but ours uh, fell at one point, like dropped, like a, like a roller coaster kind of drop yeah. out of nowhere. And, you know, it was long enough for the people on each side to grab everybody and somebody to yell, Oh, hell no. Like it was, the fall was long enough for that to take place. So I don't know. Was it five feet? Was it 50 feet? I have no idea, but like, um, it was long enough for everybody to register. Oh, this is how it's going to happen. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And then it just stabilized. It wasn't like the helicopter was shaky at all. It was just fine, 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 quick drop, fine, fine, fine. And she's like, let's go home. Let's go home. Let's go home. <laughs> yeah. We had so many helicopter rides. And, you know, they're, they're pretty safe. And those things are incredible. Pilots are all great. But it, it, there are accidents. And the Taliban's always targeting helicopters. So it's still scary every time you get in one of those things. Helpless, too. I mean, if that thing fell out of the sky, what are you going to do? And, and that first one in, or that ride in on that mission, like, if the what are you going to do if you're sitting in the back and an RPG hits it? Like, yeah. 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 And we weren't strapped into anything, right. We were, we just went in there and sat down or like stood. I, I forget how we were most of the time, but like, and the hatch was open because he had a gunner down there. So like if something happened, it's feasible that somebody could just like fly out of the back of the, one of those things, you know, we had people sitting on the floor, right. We had people sitting on the sides and then sitting on the floor, nut to butt all the way through there. Yeah. Yeah. We were packed in there. Yeah. That's tight. Mm-hmm. So let's see back to Ramrod after everything's done, finish packing up and, and it's time to go home. If you want to talk about a blur for me, I'd like snapshots of that whole process. Um, I yeah. can't tell you where we went through any of that. No, it was just a lot of emotion and just exhaustion. Just emotional exhaustion. <laughs> yeah, emotional exhaustion. Yeah, it was. Yeah, same for me. It was just a complete blur. It, even getting home, I think I, I know I arrived back home to Fort Campbell at night, and uh, just didn't even know how to react to people. You know, it was. I think we had like a hotel and got some pizza and and just kind of sat there and people like are looking at me like how do we react what should we say and and I just, I just wanted to you know enjoy some of the newfound freedoms and just not be not be in a tent and not be scared for for an IED for a little bit you know 
do I remember that we flew back together, didn't we? I have a memory I mean, of sitting next, sitting next to you, like sharing a seat with you on the way home, on the last leg home. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Was it, maybe that was the second one. I feel like that was the first. Yeah, that sounds it, about right. It was, we got, we got some fancy seats. You remember that? Yeah. Uncomfortably. So yeah, we were, they, for, they forced, uh, what was it like Sergeant first class and above to sit on the fancy seats. And <laughs> we did, I tried to avoid it, but they, they wouldn't let us sit back there with everyone else. It was a number of seats thing. So I'm going to defend it here. Um, right. <laughs> call it, call it 200 seats on the plane. Right. And 40 of these seats are first class seats. Like that, that's the nicest seat I've ever been in on a plane. Period. Right. Well, there were 200 people getting on the flight and they needed every seat was going to be full. So it was a Sergeant major or a major, somebody, um, we all started to kind of move towards the back, especially the lieutenants and, uh, like, well, not, I shouldn't say especially lieutenants, definitely some of the lieutenants as well. And, and started saying like, no, this is like borderline assigned seating. You have to be up here. He's like, well, I think, can we swap? And no. And uh, yeah, yeah, we all wanted to send some of like our soldiers up there. Like, it, it, you never want to be that that officer or that high ranking NCO that's like, oh yes, I'll take the nice stuff. Like, no, that is a, that is the wrong answer. Yeah, that was an that was that was the only uncomfortable part of that flight. I'll say that. Um, yeah. On the way, I think one of our lieutenants, Andy Roush, just left. Like he didn't swap his seat. He just straight went to the back and sat in like the middle seat <laughs> all the way in the back. I think they called him the rat, the rat king for the next few weeks. He ran the back of that area there, right? Had, had all the loyalty in the world, but that, so that must've been it. That must've been 2011 when we did that. But yeah, I remember coming home, marching into the little, I know, I, like I, I say, I remember, I know that we did this, but yeah, complete blur, man. I don't know what the next couple of days looked like the next, like, and this isn't like alcohol induced at that point. I'm sure there was a stretch where that played a part, but yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. Yeah. It was just, it was just emotional wreck. <laughs> just, I, I remember we, uh, we finally came back to the company area after the first couple of days and um, we were sitting around like in the charger company area and it just, it just felt so weird to be, to be in Fort Campbell we didn't really know what to do with ourselves. We were just kind of sitting around looking at each other. And something else that I was dealing with was, you know, we, we had people, we were coming home, but it's not like we didn't know anyone else that was still there. Right. Um, so one of my good friends from West Point, Dimitri Del Castillo, uh, he, he was killed in action. Like as we were traveling back, I think. Really? Uh, I didn't know it was that you're right though. It was right in that window. It was right in that window. And yeah, I was trying to figure out like if I can get some leave or like how I can go to the services and, you know, for whatever reason, I forget how the dates lined up, but I wasn't able to, uh, because we, we, we were just getting back and there was, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't, what was it called? It wasn't like in my family, my direct family. So yeah. I didn't have, they weren't going to authorize me extra leave or some, some sort of special leave. But I, I think for me, that's part of why it was such a blur. Like, you know, 
we got back safe, but not everyone that we knew was safe. And we still had friends that were deploying, you know, it was just like an ongoing cycle of stuff. Yeah. The guys that came in behind us did the same thing we did in, in a sense, right? They were in the same area going on those patrols and were just as likely to get, get killed. And they did, or, you know, a lot of them did too. So I remember that feeling. I remember, yeah, it's weird now because it changed very quickly in Afghanistan within the next couple of years. But I remember the time being like, oh my God, if you go to RC South, you're going to die. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then the surge kind of started uh, reducing shortly after that, right? I'm not sure how, so, the, yeah. how many months it took, but um, yes, then we started replacing ourselves with ANA. And then years later, you start hearing about how that started going poorly. No. Yeah, that was tough. I've always said that um, my deployments were easy because I was single, didn't have kids, didn't have a house, uh, threw my stuff in like a $40 a month storage unit. And who cares? It wasn't even climate controlled the first time, man. It was just a dingy old shed somewhere. Worked fine. I didn't have any stuff, but um, I can't imagine what that was like coming back uh, to Lore, both on, on both your sides. Just um, somebody else having to go through all of that deployment like you did, but not be there, you know? Yeah, that was definitely emotional. Yeah, there's <laughs> I remember in the hangar, you know, you you see a bunch of people that you know, and everyone's all happy. But yeah, when I when I finally got got to hold Lauren, I kind of lost it. Um, yeah, she was my rock. Um, but uh, we that just reminded me, we got to work quick. We uh we bought a we bought a house, we bought a car, we got a puppy, we got bicycles. And we got all the furniture for the house. <laughs> that was that was my next few months was was starting a life together. Yeah, that was exciting. That's probably why you don't remember any of the army stuff. <laughs> I think that's it. Busy interior <laughs> decorating. <laughs> that's right. I like it, man. I think that's a good spot to wrap up for for this one. But uh, that was really good. I, I it was good for me to talk through some of that stuff too. You know, it's funny what you don't ever talk about for not any good reason necessarily but you get five hours into chatting about it and who knows where you end up yeah absolutely it's uh it's nice to talk through some of these things just because you don't realize what you might be holding in and talking through it always helps well i'm sure we'll do something again here before too long but wags thanks again for doing this man it's a lot of fun yeah, same. Everybody. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to, to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.